I took this entire week off work because I didn't want to work. I, I haven't <laughs> taken time off this entire year. Sure. So I took off Thursday, Friday, and then this week. Mm-hmm. And I didn't anticipate just like being sick. Being sick. But I mean, it helps. It's handy. <coughs> I mean, it would be nice to be off and not be sick. I'm having sympathetic coughs. Oh yeah, that's that's cool. I appreciate it. <laughs> no problem. Anytime. <laughs> Happy to help. Yeah, I was a little bummed that the cube that I missed on Sunday was Mutate Cube. I mean, I don't have like a problem with playing Artifact Cube, but set up for w- ways that I like to play Magic. So yeah, it's really really good. We got some good. I mean, not good feedback as in, yes, I that's a great idea. I definitely will do this. But we got some positive feedback for the cube. I think people really appreciated playing Mutate Cube. So It, it also sounds very gimmicky. Like, mm-hmm. oh, it's Mutate. And then you're like, eh, okay. Yeah. And then you play it and it's just like a normal magic experience where the battlefield matters. Right. You're like, oh, this is just fun. I, I did have to field like five or six separate questions about the rules of how mutate works during the first when when we were drafting it sunday night or saturday night i mean uh my favorite is the mimic fat i think alan had a mimic fat against uh philip mm-hmm. and philip's four stack mutate creature died and had a death bonnet sprout <laughs> to play so alan just put all four creatures under the fat and then you get to choose to when you activate yeah, yeah is that how choose. it works okay <laughs> uh the crackling drake one is really funny so attribute setting abilities still work even if it's like power and toughness which is normally the the top mutate card so no matter what is on top its power is equal to the number of instants and sorceries in your graveyard or next which was like zero or one for most of the <laughs> game that we played <laughs> the jessica deck i drafted on sunday was really sweet yeah it looked really sweet the spell stuff looks like it is coming together. And I didn't even get any of the red-white cards I wanted because there were three red-white drafters at our table. Yeah, that, that happened. There were a couple of red-white drafters at although like lots of Sultai on uh, Saturday night. But definitely like red and white have caught up to the rest of the pack via some standalone powerful cards like Goldspan Dragon and things like that. Yeah, I'm fine with that kind of deal. I didn't like the 660 even for 6 because it was just so big. But I think anything 4-4. Four, four. Pretty much the only matches I won all weekend uh, were in cube. So, you know, <laughs> I appreciate having that available and me being relatively competent at it. Now, I still want to win an SEG cube event. Mm-hmm. I got top 4 in the first one and I've narrowly missed being in the second one. It's only a matter of time before I can crush it. Yes. Well, they will need to have it again. That's an important step to that happening. Yeah. But they will. I'm, I'm confident. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 219 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts. I am Chris Castor-Apple. With me is Lee McLeod. Hey, Lee. Hi, Chris. You're not going to fill the air? Am I going to interview you No, hold on. Google has decided (laughs) that the thing that I said is asking it to play the MTG Grindcast, so I need to go. (laughs) 
tell my Google Home not to play episodes of our podcast real quick. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not it's not playing it. So <laughs> it wanted your confirmation first. Yes, I guess so. I don't really know why it interpreted that as an as a command. That's very weird. But good to know it can hear me from in here because I am setting up gamer lighting. And what is I wanna, gamer lighting? You know, like well, you may not be able to see it. Maybe turn the brightness up some. Anyways, I'm turn turning on real gamer LED lighting in here and I do want to voice control it so I can just, you know, tell it what I want. Yeah, yell with the lights to come on like you, you want to. Yes. So there's a lot more than just lights, right? Yes. But, you know, you say computer, lights, and then that'll happen. And then maybe it'll make like Star Trek noises or something. You got to program in the Star Trek noises, though. Yes. And also needs to set up like a speaker. So it's all a very involved process for a very silly gimmick. But what else are you going to do with your time? I mean, anything silly that you have fun with is worth spending time on. That's the entire logic behind doing this podcast. Or like playing magic. Yeah, exactly. So Invitational Weekend... Good job to you and well, also to Max and Will and Alan. But, you know, you're the one who's here. So good job to you. Yeah, me personally. And Collins, <laughs> too. Collins got 13th. Yeah, yeah. Both he and our friend Will lost playing for top eight, unfortunately. Collins had to battle both Corey into Brad and get a win against one of them. And unfortunately... <sighs> Their draws were just a little too good. A few too many Inquisitions of Kozilex, not enough Thought Seizes. Yeah, unfortunately, the winning ends were in Modern and not in Standard. Right, where Collins did not lose. Uh, I think he went 7-1. and 7-1? and one? Okay. He was on the, the list, but I guess that, that was 7-1 and one in 8-0s. But yeah, he was, he was tough to beat in Standard. So shout out to our former host, Collins Mullen. Yeah, he got a list from, uh, what, Rob Stanley, who had a whole crew of people battling in the Invitational with various uh, Lear decks, like Blue Black or Grixis. Yeah, so I think the older version was Grixis, and then, or the old, I don't know what I said, the older version was Demir, and then a couple of days before the Invitational, Stanley came up with a Grixis version, uh, but I think Collins was already, like, on the Demir version by then, and obviously it was also good enough. They were definitely kind of the story of, or at least the, the standout deck of the standard portion of the tournament, just these blue-black decks in general, the Sedgemore Witch control decks, basically. Yeah, they were really good. They were really good. I don't have a met, like a metagame breakdown or anything of the NV, but mm-hmm. I mean, just from looking around, uh, not that many people were playing those decks, and everyone that was playing it was at the top tables. Yeah, yeah. It was kind of surprising. I've definitely played against those decks, and not been impressed but you know maybe some particular tweaks to the builds the four main deck duress over like hedging on those like maxing out on considers to make your sedgemore which is good uh maybe that is what kind of got them there yeah it is it is kind of weird because this is a type of deck that has existed and just generally like not been that great but i think it's like fine i think the main problem is that like on ladder or whatever you just play against random stuff and a bunch of mono weight mm-hmm. and stuff like that which this deck is not great against yeah but if you can like hedge your bets and only play against epiphany like a large percentage of the time like the tournament was mm-hmm. 
uh, it's one of those decks that has like a huge play skill part to it. Yeah. And I think that fuels a bunch of the wins. Yeah, probably. I did play against Karate Dom early in the tournament. Dom Palacero, uh, who top aided. I did not have a great run this invitational. I my my draws were it, you know how you kind of need in order to do well in a tournament, you need to be playing well, you need to be drawn okay, you need to be drawn pretty well, and you know, have them bail you out when you don't play perfectly, have them reward you when you play to your outs. I kind of had none of that happen. I played a little bit medium, and my draws did not bail me out a single time, uh, and it was all capped off in the second match of Modern that I played, where I just did not draw a card that said Cascade on it the entire match. So it wasn't meant to be for me this weekend. I think you're, you're, the, the entirety of your day once cemented that, as the restaurant did not even feed you. Correct. <laughs> uh, it was a really rough overall like day plus for me. I went for a run in the morning before heading over to their tournament, and I just like immediately tripped on some broken sidewalk and was dealing with a like a, a strained calf for the entire weekend after that went straight from that into just basically unable to win a game of magic and then we went to the restaurant very late because the tournament started at noon so we didn't get to a restaurant until like nine at night and it's kind of traditional for me to get my food last but this time I ordered loaded tots to be an appetizer to share with everyone but everyone got all of their food and everyone was full by the time my appetizer showed up. So I'm just sitting there like sadly eating my loaded tots alone. And then it just turned out that they had like completely forgotten about my sandwich. But the waiter like really reassured me like that they weren't going to charge me for the sandwich they didn't bring me. And it was very weird. It was like they were doing me a big favor by not charging me for the sandwich that never existed. So uh, uh, all in all, like a D minus experience at that particular restaurant. Yeah, I we were there for a long time, too. It was like two hours or something. I had no sandwich that entire time. Mm -mm. But, you know, D minus just because y'all being around brought it way up from the overall experience. Uh, the day overall, pretty pretty rough, except for having you guys around. That's the best part about the tournaments, though, right? Yeah. Is that, uh, like, the, the benefits of the online tournaments is you don't have to leave home. Mm -hmm. But your whole day is, like, the tournament. So yes. you do bad on it. It's not great. But when you go somewhere, like, to the Envy... You get to hang out with your people, and that's mm -hmm. like I I really enjoyed that dinner, despite you know nothing being that great or anything, just because I spent two hours with a lot of people I really like. Yes, no, it was fantastic, despite not having food with nutritional value brought to me at any point <laughs> over the, during the course of the evening. And then when we went out to barbecue the next day, they forgot to make my dinner again. <laughs> So, rough weekend. Who did you anger? I, I was just running really bad all weekend, that's all. But, you know, like, it's just, it just kind of goes to show that no matter what, like, if you go in there with the attitude of 
this is going to be a fun weekend with my friends. Like, nothing can ruin that for you. It's still going to be a fun weekend with your friends. And it still was. Like, I had a fantastic time. Like, I, I, I just can't wait for the next one. Hopefully, I don't go one and five, but, like, it's guaranteed to be fun. So, kind of who cares? Yeah, my, my day went out actually pretty, really well, actually. It did. You were crushing it. Yeah, I went 3-1 in standard and then 3-1 in modern. So losing to Corey in modern because he didn't lose the whole weekend. Yeah, we got to talk about that a little bit in a minute. but. And so like going into X2 and day two was really nice for a, you know, I, I may have told you the story already because it's my favorite one. But I just did not fully digest the text of the Celestis <laughs> until like the middle of the modern rounds. <laughs> like, because I, I hadn't played any standard games before that morning. Uh huh. So the Celestis went from being like a mana rock, a mana lith that like you could rummage and gain a life. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't rummage, it loots, which is way better. Way yes. better. Yes. But that's not how I was playing the card in the round one. Oh jeez, <laughs> it was still really good rummaging. Like I crushed that game, but I, I didn't need to do that. Uh, and then uh, I didn't realize you could flip. Like if you asked me what the card did, I could tell you it flipped night to day. But I never internalized that, and I just never activated the Celestis to flip from night to day mm. until like day two. <laughs> well, you figured it out eventually, so that's that's pretty good. I mean, luckily, there's only two copies in my deck, and most of the interactions in Standard are not, like, eking out your little Celestis value. It's a lot bigger picture than that. So it wasn't that hampered. <laughs> yes, of course. That is a very minor part of playing the deck. Yeah, I played Grixis Epiphany, by the way. We talked about it last week, but I was basically blue-red all in the main deck with a bunch of uh, pathways. Blue-red, blue-black, and black-red pathways. So that in the sideboard games, I could board in Go Blank and Duress against the Mirror or the Blue Black decks, mm-hmm. uh, which were very good against them too. Yep. Go Blank is so strong in yes. those blue controller mirrors. It's crazy. Yeah. No, it, it's definitely really, really good, especially because post board, you have more graveyardy stuff. And whenever you can catch, you know, get the Mind Rot and catch a Malevolent Geist or Malevolent Hermit in the graveyard before it gets recast, then, you know, you're getting a lot out of that spell. And possibly my sideboard was, like, a card misbuilt or so, because I started out just jamming four Hermits in my post-board games, because there mm-hmm. were four in my sideboard. Yeah. But a lot of times I would have to go to three Hermits and yeah. have a removal spell, like a Demon Bolt or whatever, mm-hmm. so I could kill my opponent's Leer or Smoldering Egg or whatever. Right. Yeah, I basically never take out the demon bolts until after game two if i'm like certain that they're just not going to be good because they just like tend to find an important target i didn't have any main deck i just had the one in the sideboard mm, okay because i was I, I played a lot more eggs and leers in a main deck sure sure so sure, like sure. early creature interaction was not not at a huge premium yeah that makes sense kind of hard to draw conclusions like from the lists that did well because we have such a small sampling of just the you know seven and one and eight oh lists and the top eight lists but just to you know i don't want to spend too much time going over like where these formats are at now but just a little bit of like takeaways from the tournament in standard 
Well, the entire top eight was either like Lear, Sedgemore, Witch decks and Epiphany decks. It was nothing else. It was only those two types of decks. So blue decks with divide by zero, pretty, pretty strong, huh? You want to know my favorite part of the the blue control deck, the blue black decks? Uh, let me try to find uh, Collins' list because I know he was playing it. But it's a port of Carfell. Yeah, which is yeah. Called High Uncommon. Uh, it's a comfortably tapped blue land, so it taps for blue mana. But it's got three UBP tap sack it to mill four cards, then reanimate a creature from your graveyard tapped. Uh, Collins told a story where he was playing this control mirror and he had a port and he knows his opponent has disdainful stroke and just has to hit a Leer. Just car port of car fills the Leer from his graveyard into play. So his opponent can't disdainful stroke it. And now mm-hmm. his disdainful strokes are dead. Cause <laughs> yeah, that's really cute. I am surprised like multiple times I heard people refer to the spells can't be countered as trinket text on Lear, when basically in no game have i ever played has it not been relevant in some way <laughs> i played a game at x and two in day two so this was like uh, what 10 and two or something like that mm-hmm. some really high number and my opponent i cast up if any and my opponent jawari disruptions it and they have a leer in play they have a leer in play. yes <laughs> yep that'll Yep, that'll do it. It's just... Uh, like, that, that card is so relevant. Yes. Also, I had the uh, I had a Lear in play one game, and my opponent... Like, I double epiphanied into my opponent's four open mana, because if they divide by zero, one, it's like, whatever, I still get a mm-hmm. turn. It's it's fine. I have a Lear in play, so the extra turn's super good. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they don't divide by zero my spell. Instead, they get me by Galvanic Iteration, a Jawari Disruption, copying it to counter both of my copies of Epiphany. Yep. And, and I say, accepted. all right, I'm not going to pay for those. <laughs> and then I point to my Lear and they scoop. <laughs> yep. It's hard. It's like, it can be hard to remember when it's not in the normal context. Because like you read that line and it's like, oh, okay. That means that I can't cast counter spells out of my graveyard to counter my opponent's spells is like clearly the intent of the text on that card. But it's just spells can't be countered, which is a lot more wide-ranging than that particular reading yeah it's a protection spell or protection yep. creature yep so blue spells in standard pretty good we probably don't need to break things apart too much in standard because we're getting a new set like in like a week this yeah well the the second half of the show is all previews so who knows what will happen after that i mean hard to i, I would i would not put money on epiphany not still being a good deck after this but uh all of the little nuances are going to be pretty fundamentally changed by an entire new set coming out yeah and i I think what the best part about the new cards is that there's a lot more colors getting better cards so you can Mm -hmm. just like have a more complete format than maybe epiphany doesn't dominate you know yeah yeah that is hopefully the case uh as far as modern goes modern's in a a rough place right now i think at, at least if if the format is reflective if the invitational reflects the format at large if there are some shifts that take place in the wider format then maybe it's fine but from my observations from you know i, I spent the entire day two birding matches uh and you know i was dead halfway into 
modern on day one so i was just like walking around observing for most of modern at the tournament and it did not look pretty to me it looked like a a pretty bad format overall i mean there's just two gigantic problems with the format Mm -hmm. Uh, and that is the the elemental cards yep are way too efficient yeah and they prolong the game so much to like a really bad degree like i was my last match of modern i played against a yorion ryo's deck and we're like and so this is the version that plays like omnath and elementals Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so we're going back and forth we're trading cards we're doing all the stuff you do to like establish control over a game and we get through that so the board's clear we both have like one card in hand apiece and I look at the life totals, and my life's at 32, and their life's at 26. It's just like you've just been solituding each other all game. Yeah, it's just like this is okay. <laughs> Very stupid. Yeah, I mean they they prolong the game by making it very likely that you have relevant interaction no matter when your opponent decides to go for their thing because you, you can be tapped out and you can use your stuff, and then they reward you for prolonging the game because. Once you can hard cast them, they're all two for ones or better. Yes. And and so they're like both the most efficient interaction in the format. And then also they are really powerful mid-rangey card advantage cards for when the game does go long. And basically no other cards in the format are able to like give you value on both of those axes in such a way that like the majority of decks in the format to be playable have to be focused on these elementals yeah and i think one of the weird things about modern that like the value cards are just kept in check by people doing really ridiculous nonsense unfair stuff Mm -hmm. but almost all of that has just gotten banned over the last couple years or so yeah so it's just an arms race of everyone just jumping in the value train and going to town yeah like a simian spirit guide deck is like the place I would naturally go to deal with this this elementals based format, but that card is not available to us. Uh, the other problem I think modern has are just companions. Like yep. they're every ridiculously table. brutal. The top tables were all Yorians, Lurises, and Kahiras. And Luris at least now is like almost the good guy because when you present it, it's like I'm not playing any elementals, so you know, this is gonna be straight up I'm paying mana for my spells. I played eight rounds of Modern. I played against eight companion decks. Yep. And honestly, I should have also played a companion deck because I think the deck I was playing, uh, the three animator deck, it was fine. But it's just like kind of inconsistent. Like you really want to draw exactly one copy of all of your cards. Mm-hmm. If like drawing two copies of your cards often is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. So just make I, it a Yorion probably... deck. No, well, I could do that, I guess, but I would rather just play some some other deck entirely. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Sure, sure. Because the companions are just such free value, like, and they work so well with the elementals, except for yeah, Luris, of course. Right, but Kahira being a free white card, Yorion being a free white card, that's also like really bonkers if you get to that. I'm just casting my spells for value stage of the game. Uh, yeah, when I every time I walked through the top tables, it was probably like eighty percent plus companion decks uh blue eye control has kahira 
the elementals heavy decks are often Yorion decks, and then the only things that can possibly keep up with those decks are Luris decks, whether they are Burn, there were uh there was Cory with with Death, Death Shadow and then like a, a Grixis Snapcaster deck that was also a Luris deck. Uh, so those decks can kind of keep up, and then Blue White has Kahira and is also a Solitude deck, so it certainly can keep up. Uh, yeah, I I knew going in to day one of the tournament, I I was just like, yeah, I mean, like I should have left myself with other options. I was not particularly happy that I was playing a Cascade deck into this like Endurance Solitude to Fairy metagame. And the two modern matches that I played, my opponents had Endurance, Solitude, and Teferi. So, you know, I lost both of those matches. Yep. And I I mean, I was here, in Chalice too, right? Like, Chalice is also part of it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I played against Blue Light Control three times in a row on day two. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, Blue White's like a, a back-and-forth matchup, but it really sold me on oh i need to draw exactly one of all my cards like i can't i can't unless it's mold drifter i can't afford drawing a second copy of anything mm-hmm. right certainly can't draw two unmarked graves you know, yeah mm-hmm. i board those out too like it's easily yeah. the worst card just minus all. one card especially if they have rest in peace out yeah apparently this is uh, i i was talking with shaheen after we played because i have known Shaheen for like a long time and we never talk but uh, we showed how each other sideboarded and uh, boarded out the unmarked graves, of course, because he's playing blue eye control. Mm-hmm. And he says, "You know, not not enough people do that." And I'm like, "Really? Wow, that's crazy." <laughs> this is th- the first thing I thought of. <laughs> yeah, this this minus one card in the control matchup, where they have all answers to my combos. Uh, maybe we should remove the focus on the combo a little bit. One of the blue white matches I played, my opponent had. Torpor orb in their sideboard and brought it in because mm-hmm. it stops elementals and mold drifter and i guess half of archon yeah but what was neat is that it also stopped their solitudes oh so i got sarah's emissary into play and named instant and they could not kill any of my creatures Jeez. <laughs> yeah i really interesting that cory managed to go undefeated with grixis death shadow uh definitely not a deck i would have pegged going in maybe not a deck i would peg going forward i I think a key is that most people believe that the deck is is weak to blue white and in fact i even saw like Manguchi tweet like that he played Corey's deck in some leagues on stream and was like yeah this deck is great except that it's so bad against blue white and then Corey responded he was like yeah it's actually like a really good matchup you just need to sideboard properly and play properly and like gave him some insight on that you know you have to have some amount of explosives in to answer chalice and to answer rest in peace and you have to you know focus on croxa in the matchup and and some other things so cory certainly is going to play the deck better than most people can and leveraging his play skill and his matchup knowledge for wins that other people would not be able to get but Definitely, like, I just pegged it as, like, well, Solitude seems really, really good against you. That seems like a bad place to be, but I think it's a little more nuanced than that, probably. Mm-hmm. I don't actually hate playing Modern, but the, the main problem is that it just gets old very quickly. Like, mm-hmm. there's not... The range of things you can do in the format is so narrow. Yeah. And honestly, 
like the games that I was looking at just didn't look very fun overall. It was like a flurry of interaction and then sitting. They they often felt prescriptive. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and honestly, that's one thing I really like about Corey's deck choice is that his deck can't afford to do that. Yes. <laughs> so he, he gets actually gets to play a bunch of magic, which is actually kind of cool. Yeah. But it shouldn't be up to you picking a specific deck in order to get some back and forth and interaction and like interesting novel game states and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I for for now with the format as heavily based in companions and elementals as it is, I have kind of lost interest in it. Fortunately, like by the end of the tournament, I was like really high on standard. Like I got beat up, but all of my games were good. I just watched a ton of really fun games and like the format just seems great. Yeah, the games in standard are really, really fun. Like mm-hmm. maybe they aren't, maybe the format as it is now isn't super healthy. Like we just said the top eight was all blue decks. But I mean, those games are very engaging, <laughs> way more engaging than m- modern's games. Yeah. And I mean, like, you know, mono green is not, it didn't perform as well in that tournament, but you certainly can still lose to it. Mono white is still quite good. It just didn't convert which in a split format tournament isn't necessarily that meaningful. And then these blue control decks showed up and are a new addition to the format. So, you know, there's stuff and there's a new set coming out and I'll be excited to play more standard and figure out what's going on. Yeah, I wish there were more tournaments like I could actually play standard at because I, I just don't do the arena grind. It's just not for me. I know. And now I own standard cards. Well, well, luckily I didn't actually have to buy that much for this tournament, uh, and I, I don't know. I really like. I really enjoyed playing with Lear. That card is so fun. Yeah, it's a pretty, pretty you kind of card. Just put your it's graveyard like into your hand. It's like Past Flames, but forever. Yeah. One of my opponents asked if they could see my graveyard after I resolved Lear, and I just picked up my graveyard and put it in between us <laughs> and left it there. Yep, and left it there. Yep. yep. These are the cards I have access to. <laughs> just to like think about my preparation a little bit more like i'm not unhappy with you know i'm bummed that i didn't really leave myself a way to audible easily into another deck when it started becoming apparent that like the thing that i was scared of that oh there were going to be a bunch of decks that have solid game ones against me and then just really untenable board plans for me to play against like the problem is that like teferi and endurance are cards that you need totally different cards to fight against and endurance just costs zero mana they always have it up and even if you like grief them like you have to grief them early because if you fill up your graveyard and then grief them then they just get to endurance you anyways i think we talked about this a little bit like when the card was first spoiled but i just don't think endurance is a reasonable way to do graveyard hate unless you just don't want graveyard decks to be playable in your format at all it's almost impossible to play around and drawing multiples or whatever is fine because it's also a three, four reach. And it's just the fact that it's so big. is kind of crazy. Like, why isn't this card just a three, two like grief and like every marrow article when he's talking about design stuff, like during the great designer search and stuff, it's like, you know, I'd really like to see an activation cost on this. So there's like a shields down moment. I love shields down moments. Don't worry, I can guarantee you Rosewater had nothing to do with Modern no, Horizons. Cer- certainly, but, you know, that's a pretty established magic design constraint, is shields down moments. And Endurance 
both like is well, invisible. Any, honestly, any elemental because the shields yeah. down moment for those is they just have one card in hand. But if you've looked at any magic card printed in the past couple of years, they all draw a card. So right. facts. But you know, and I mean, like Fury is egregious in its own way, but like Solitude and Endurance have no shields down moments because they're instants too. They're free and they're instants. And it's just like, how are you supposed to play against either of these if you're doing the thing that they're not only good against, but just like game breaking against? Uh, and you just like, all you can do is hope. And that sucks. You can try to do your thing really early, but it costs zero mana. If you try to do, you know, wait until you have a little bit of interaction, like they can do their thing. Like they can cast their Teferi on turn three and have Solitude up. They can make their Rhinos and have Endurance up. And it's just like, this shouldn't be allowed. I don't think it just doesn't feel like magic. It, It like it's not the modern format. Not paying mana for your very good spells is really weird. Yeah, it's weird because they've banned all the cards to make mana for free, saying it was like not what the format's about. Then they broke right. free cards. Right. And it sucks. And and then you get the price of it on top of that. Solitudes are what? like Probably like 70 bucks or something. Yeah, I think so. I know they're ex- really expensive at the, the venue because, you know, there's a tournament going on. Yeah, it looks like they're like 50 or so on TCG, 50, 55, something like that. It just feels so, art, you know feel so artificial like they banned simian spirit guide because that can't be what the format is about but now we'll print a bunch of mythics that have a similar they just happen to be reactive instead of proactive yeah and i don't think they're gonna ban all the elementals so i would rather them just like unban a bunch of stuff on the ban list like that's that can theoretically shape the format Mm -hmm. you know yeah like just go crazy just unban a bunch of stuff that was previously too good before there was a million free cards in the format yeah i'd be okay with that i we'll see where things go also get rid of companions i hate that more than yeah, everything just else. get rid of companions. good lord why why just tremendous design mistake that we're just like living in for the rest of magic i cannot stand companions as as long as they exist like you're going to have multiple opponents per tournament present their companion at the beginning of the match just one copy of Luris, one copy of yoria and it's just going to have this looming shadow over all of these matches that you play like the effect of having companions legal is so outsized compared to other cards being legal and they all just draw a card like kahira yeah. kind of does, doesn't draw a card but it, it you pitch it to a, a solitude a bunch Mm-hmm. Yorion and Luris's purpose are to gain card advantage. Yeah. That's all they do. Yeah. I. So one of the other things that I am thinking about for prep stuff is I did not really play either both enough paper magic and enough like tournament structured magic in general. So I want to be focusing because I just like wasn't really checked in fully during the tournament and I, I just like wasn't in tournament mode it was much harder for me to transition to that so i definitely want to do more of that and i think that both playing paper tournaments or just hanging out with people and playing paper will help that side of things and then playing even online actual tournaments like challenges or SEG events or whatever will help with that as well so uh, i do want to do that more there's a modern tournament this weekend, but I don't know if I can bring myself 
to play modern, but probably <laughs> just should. Also, I mean, the format's not going to be as busted in a local meta game. It's it's going to be a little more diverse, probably. Oh, there's a local tournament this weekend. Where? At East Coast. Oh, at, okay. I might play in that. Yeah, I probably will just because it's right here and it's you know twenty bucks or whatever, and unlikely that the format is going to be all blue white control and four color Yorion. So, <laughs> can I? I can talk about my prep, short as it was. Yeah, because <laughs> we. We've talked before that I barely prepared for this tournament, mm-hmm. which is unjust because you did really badly. I mean, and I... there's no, <laughs> maybe I hurt myself more than if I had just like a lot of times I do great when I mostly just like talk to people in theory through decks and maybe I need to lean more towards that. Well, one thing I did do that's actually really good is I did play paper tournaments like we're leading up to it because I... I love paper tournaments. They are... There's few things I like more in Magic than, like, playing with an audience around me uh, so I can just make terrible jokes or be flashy or whatever. And doing that while also trying to be competitive and, like, get in the tournament habit, it was really, really helpful for me just to, like, be, like, in the zone, I guess. Like, I'm not saying it makes me immune to mistakes, because you definitely watched me die to a hall of the Storm Giants that I just pointed out the turn prior that just killed myself with it. <laughs> I did bear witness to that. <laughs> Where I was just, like, completely checked out at that multiple points during the tournament. Like, that just didn't happen. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wouldn't say that I was completely checked out, but I was not locked in playing tournament mode. You know, and, and like, one point I... After my opponent field of ruined me, I should have foretold a card during my end step. And I didn't do that. You know, like things like that that are just like, I know that this play is right. Like I've done it on arena. I just like in the moment was more concerned with like playing to the clock and passing and continuing gameplay and didn't quite, you know, just wasn't on my full tournament A game. I did pick the wrong modern deck. And a lot was to do with the tournament it played the week prior. Like I liked the reanimator deck, and then I like ran pretty hot at the tournament I played it in. Uh, I didn't really get into a lot of the issues that I had with the deck, which was like the way you, the order in which you draw your cards matters like so much. Uh, so like going back, I wish I would have like played a little more modern. Just done probably would have just played hammer at that point instead mm-hmm. of like reanimator. But and hammer did I, just fine this tournament. It was all well, yeah, over the course. top tables. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like I had people talking about how like you couldn't play. Like, like I've seen people talking about it and I've seen tweets about how you just like couldn't play Hammer at this tournament. And it's just like egregiously wrong. Like Hammer is just fine. I, I watched Jim Davis play against Alan, uh, our friend. And Jim had one of just the worst draws I've seen <laughs> in a long time from his deck from Hammer. Uh, just kind of plinking away with a Knight of Malice against Alan's white deck, essentially. Mm-hmm. With never drew a hammer, uh, could never draw a card of Pure Steel Paladin, never drew more than one Inkmoth Nexus. And just like, they drew at the end. Because Alan couldn't kill him in time. He had to deal with all his like C-tier threats. Yeah, because they all got a cranial plating put on him. Yeah. Yeah, hammer is totally fine. It just will continue to be fine. I. Uh, 
I don't even know what would make it not fine because it continues to survive in this fury solitude heavy format. So Luris helps a lot there. It like, does. Uh, the quick clock plus if they spend all their cards to interact with you, you get to Luris slash Urza Saga them like yeah. to play a long game. That that's a huge dimension to the deck. I guess maybe it will stop being fine if Lur if the companions do get hell banned out of modern. I don't think enough people are complaining about that for it to happen yet, but yeah, I'm all for it. We can it's, start it up. It is a problem. It's just a more subtle one than the elementals right now. Yeah. Even even the one of the elementals is called subtlety. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the worst one. Yeah, it is. <laughs> Do you have any fun stories about the Invitational? I mean, sure. Any, any fun thing happened to you? Cube was really fun. I loved playing Cube. That was great. Unfortunately, you missed Saturday night, but we went over to the Marriott where like lots of magic players were staying uh collins mm -hmm. was staying there and then just a bunch of people that we knew and we just hung out in the lobby and cubed until two in the morning and that so was really fun. i was i was invited to this which yes. was great i i was excited to go but after eating i realized that there's no way i could stay awake <laughs> so we drove home and i think that within five minutes of us being home at the, like our airbnb i fell asleep like yes. that makes perfect sense I was just exhausted after like so much magic. Yeah, I uh, we drafted the mutate cube. A bunch of people got pretty excited about the mutate cube because it's, you know, kind of a novelty. And then when you play it, you realize that like there are all these neat interactions and it's very combat focused and board focused and very fun to play. You've made some changes to it recently that have made red and white a little bit stronger. And so I just drafted a red white aggro deck that was very good. Snap decks in particular was a really fun card to play and then i that played the finals of the cube against my good friend philip who i tested with and we went up and stayed together and drove together uh and managed to steal it from him in game three with a uh gore, gore clan rampager for exactly lethal before he took over the game so you know that felt really good Although the fact that I was sideboarding in the Gore Clan Rampager every time, every match made me think, maybe I should have just main decked this bad boy. <laughs> One of my favorite things about the uh, the Kaijube is that the, the three-color mutate legendaries are so cool mm -hmm. and so, like... So usable. They, yeah, they're so good. Like, mm -hmm. they're splashable and they have, like, good effects on the board, but they're, like, reasonably costed. They feel like really good cards to be like among the best cards in the cube. Yeah. And that's basically the spot I want to like keep the power level at. As long as those cards can be among the best cards, I think you're in like perfect shape. Yes. Yeah. If if I can justify like first picking snap decks, then I'm happy with where we're at right now. A tri-color card. Kind of two color if you want, but mm -hmm. I was only two colors, yeah. I was never paying black mana for that thing, but I had enough creatures that I could consistently mutate it and you know, you you want to. You get a, a War Leader's Helix out of the deal. Well, we haven't talked about any spoilers yet. Do you have any stories you want to share first before we move on? I'm sure some will come to me. I mean, I, I did some cool cube. I had this incredibly good uh, Jeskai deck. Maybe yeah. not incredibly good, but it was, like, very solid mm -hmm. for from the cube draft uh, for the Kaiju. And I had Jeskai Ascendancy and Mirror. <laughs> Because all the mirror are in the cube because they're so good with mutate. Yeah. But apparently they're just extremely good with Jeskai Ascendancy too, like you would expect from Sylvan Carrier to Jeskai Ascendancy. Yep, makes sense. 
Uh, and I also had the incredible combo of uh, Krark, the Thumbless, which is a, a two drop. Whenever you cast a uh, Insert Sorcery, you flip a coin. If you win the flip, you copy that card. If you lose the flip, it goes back to your hand. So you're like, uh, the rate is kind of like you have to cast your cards twice to get double effect out of it. But sometimes you go on hot or cold streaks. Mm-hmm. But if you have anything that casts off cast triggers, like Prowess or Ascendancy or Whirlwind of Thought, uh, Krark becomes just a, a very all upside. Just a machine, yeah. Yeah, against Philip when we played, I played Krark and I think I like promptly lost the first five flips of cards I was casting mm-hmm. and then never lost again and just buried him. <laughs> And so when I played Quark on the second game, it immediately got killed. <laughs> Just no patience for that. Yep, that makes sense. So shout out to Quark. I love that card. It's, it's a sweet card. You barely get to play it anywhere, but it's way better than the flip your coin to cast to resolve your spells text would make you think. <laughs> well, yeah. If you get those prowess triggers off of there, yeah, that is pretty unreal. That's That's really cool. Well... Should we talk spoilers? I'm sure there are some cards with cube potential in this new set, so maybe, you know, maybe we'll come up with some ideas. I mean, at the very least, there's all the slow lands, right? <laughs> That's true. Those are great. Uh, all Deathcap Glade, Dreamer Cascade, Shatter Sanctum, Storm Carved Coast, and Sundown Pass. Uh, making the mana and standard, like, incredibly strong, I think. Yeah. I mean, three-color decks are just gonna work, and it's gonna be fine. Like, those lands are so fantastic especially with the pathways too they go really well together because in your first two turns you can use path like you use your pathways and then after that everything comes into play untapped it's like man is going to be fantastic yeah harlan and raja played bant like mm-hmm. mid-range in the scg invitational yeah and that's just like a green white deck splashing some blue cards and it, the mana for that deck was perfectly reasonable yeah and now this means that you can do that with all the enemy colored decks now too yeah yep the blue red one being a a gigantic pickup (laughs) yes uh holy crap i'm never gonna play a frostboil snarl again in my entire life so here's the funny thing about the invitational i I played zero lands in my deck which could tap for two colors of mana just zero right i was all pathways or basics (laughs) did not have anything that either tapped for a red or a blue, except for the Celestis, which I paid mana for, so it doesn't count. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my opponents were playing Snarls from time to time, and my favorite was the turn one reveal card to Snarl. Past turn, never use the mana. Nope. <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's just so useless. The, like the vast majority of time they come to play untapped, it doesn't matter. Even when they do use the mana from it, they had a basic in their hand, so they could have had the same amount of mana that turn. Like, you have to use all your mana the Snarl turn and all your mana the next turn for it to count. Atrocious design. <laughs> it's it's funny. Oh, Will, who top 16, or top 3, yeah, top 16 this tournament, mm-hmm. was playing, he found a deck list with Prismari Campus in the deck, <laughs> which I know we talked about like weeks and weeks and weeks ago. But it's just not pretending it's any different than Frost Boil Snarl, except for yeah. as an extra ability. Yeah. Uh, he never once needed it to come into play untapped, as a, or could have made it come to play tapped as a Snarl would. Yeah. Because the Snarls don't do that. But scried with it like six times over the course of the two days. <laughs> now, I, that is a great story. I will say that 
in the mirrors, you rarely would get to activate that ability because you usually get pounced on with a windfall or something if you do that at the end of their turn. Against, like, blue-black, like, I could see it coming up. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. I wasn't just playing my whole tournament. I couldn't watch yeah, when he was activating it. But I, I just thought that was funny that he... He could have played Snarl. Like, there's nothing wrong with uh, Snarls, except for, you know, basically the same as Prismari Campus minus an ability. Yeah. Yep. Pretty much. Where do you want to start off with uh, with spoiler talk? Any any agenda in mind? Not really. Like, I made a... I just put this list of cards there to remind me of things to talk about. Uh, but... I'm fine with just, like, scrolling through. We got, like, over half of the set at this point. I think we have two-thirds of the set. 174 yep. cards out of 259. They have really came out very quickly. It's been a week. Yeah, it's almost exactly two-thirds of the set. 67%. Yeah. I don't know. Anything in particular you're excited about? Um. So, I'm not excited about this, but I actually do really like the way they're doing spirits and disturb in this set. Mm-hmm. So a bunch of the spirits are in the set with Disturb, and on their backside, they're just like an aura. Yeah. So like, there's a really simple one that's just a one white 2-2 two, two with Disturb for four. So when you cast it from your graveyard, it's an aura that gives the enchanted creature plus two, plus two. Mm-hmm. And basically all the spirits are like this. Like If there's a lifelink one, it comes back as an aura that you give lifelink, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, it's weirdly kind of, of like the Blood Rush creatures, because they all like pump the creature with their power and toughness and abilities, basically. It's... Yeah, yeah, very similar. Except for, like, weirdly graveyard-centric. Yeah. Uh, and the, the spirits, like, key off of enchantments and other spirits. Mm-hmm. So, like, there's a counter spell in the set that uh, costs one less if you control spirit, and it costs another one less if you control an enchantment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> to, like, have a mana leak, basically. Uh, I, I, I think all of these cards are mostly unplayable. Like, the, the rate is just too bad on them. Sure. But they're super neat. I really like them. Yeah, and I also really just like the evolution of a mechanic because it feels like a block thing and it is a thing that I miss having. And it's like Haunt because it's on all spirits. Mm -hmm. So instead of Haunt being like guilt-backed Haunt, being Mm -hmm. this weird like when your creature dies, it exiles it and you haunt a thing and when that thing dies, you get its come to play effect again. It's like your spirit died. It's in the graveyard now and you can haunt whatever creature you want because it's an aura mm-hmm. and it powers and it up when and it, it does whatever like there's one that's there's beneficial ones and then there's another one that's like seven mana you enchant a player and then at the end of their turn you put a counter on it and when it has three counters they lose the game yeah so that's, that one's not as beneficial not but it's not still quite. neat because you're literally haunting them yes that is a really cool card faithbound judge and sinner's judgment yeah well we recently got spoiled Eruth. Aerith, Tormented Prophet, one blue red for a 2-4 human wizard. If you draw a card, exile the top two cards of your library instead. You may you may play those cards this turn. Uh, unlikely to be good, but I really like how like compelling and potentially powerful such a simple line of text is. You know, just one ability on this card, but it gets the wheel starting. I think this is a really neat design. Yeah, it's cool. It's very similar to Riel, the Everwise, like a three mana blue red legend mm-hmm. that's just got this whole i want to really go off with it kind of deal and i liked riel so i'm hopeful the problem is like it's hard to find a deck against like standard i guess where Aerith is gonna do her thing yeah 
I mean, so any combo-y legend gets my wheels turning to work with, like, Mox Amber and Underworld Breach in Historic. So that's, you know, kind of a thing that pops into my head. Although probably this is just largely worse than Burgee plus Horn of Heart. Because, like, this text is... One card's in your graveyard. Right. And, and this text is basically just, like, worse than the Horn's text, but it's on a three-mana permanent instead of a five-mana permanent. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I just think the card's really neat. Let's see. We have... A potential addition to mono green aggro. Oh, Ascendant Pack Leader? Yeah. So we have Ascendant Pack Leader. This is one green mana for a 2 1. Uh, when it enters the battlefield, if you control a permanent with uh, mana value 4 or greater, it gets a plus 1 plus 1 counter. Whenever you cast a permanent spell with mana value 4 or greater, it also gets a plus 1 plus 1 counter. Not a permanent spell. Oh, just, just any, any spell. spell? Okay. Yeah. I was doing it from memory. Yeah, so if you can you can cast a, I don't know, I can't think of any non-permanent spells that cost more than four mana. The no, not in mono green. I mean, basically, like this gives you the opportunity to play a one drop in the green deck where the other one drops were not good enough. Maybe this one also is not good enough because the problem with it is that it gives you a creature that dies to spike field hazard when none of your other creatures die to spike field hazard, and you know, like that was a big con- contribution to Lotus Cobra being just consensus worse than Sculptor of Winter in the deck. Dies to Spike Field Hazard and also isn't a snow permanent, which matters a reasonable amount of the time. But this does give you the ability to start playing on turn one, and a lot of the plans versus mono green lean on the fact that, like, okay, I know they're not doing anything until at least turn two. And if I'm on the play against mono green, I know they're not starting until turn two, and I can kind of get the drop on them a little bit. Yeah, I don't know how I'll shake out, because it's the monogreen deck isn't really a curve out deck kind of you know like they they skip turn one almost all the time to just ramp up more powerful stuff but they have to skip turn one and maybe now this gives them a choice to play a little bit differently and maybe it's not a choice that they take but it is an option like they they've fallen behind a little bit against epiphany this could be a good one drop would be a thing that would really put them into a position to to reclaim that a little bit but this might not be it because of the one toughness i'm just kind of reading the cards in foreign languages i haven't really read <laughs> sure. or... uh well so we got some reprints any of which might be important a braid is a pretty huge one it just surprises you with the amount the relevancy of the artifact killing text we don't have kaladesh in standard right now for this card to just like invalidate most of a block but probably will render the celestis relatively obsolete kills a seeker's chariot which is still not a great exchange for you but better than not killing a seeker's chariot better than cathartic fire is gonna do yeah exactly and so definitely a playable card uh hero's downfall you know one bb destroy target creature or planeswalker is getting a reprint which it's kind of expensive for removal and all of the planeswalkers are bad if the format starts rotating around planeswalkers then this card will be fine and thalia is getting reprinted and that seems like a big deal for a lot of reasons thalia guardian of thraven the the og yeah. one on white two one first strike non-creature spells cost one more 
Uh, yeah, this card is a pain in the ass to play against. There's like seven arts or something for Thalia, and somehow they printed the worst one. Oh, I really like this art. Really? I yeah. Don't like it at all. She's like weathered and I don't know. I, I, I really appreciate this one. I'd rather have the, van the like, Dracula one than this one, <laughs> which I actually do like the Dracula art a lot, but. It's definitely not Thalia. <laughs> no, I think this one is really cool. I like the negative space. I like the window behind her with the zombies. I, I like the scraggly hair. I like a lot about this art. I think it's really cool. Not for me. They don't like it at all. That's that's surprising. I think this is like objectively very good art. She's had a lot of good arts over the course of her reprints and secret layers. So. The secret layer ones are really good. I really like the secret a lot of the secret layer ones. And she has a lot of promos. The, there's even a black and white promo in this set for the double feature stuff mm -hmm. which is kind of neat yeah the black and white cards in this set maybe it's because i'm seeing them like big on a computer screen but they are largely better than in the last set in my opinion there's it's just a little clearer what's going on they don't look like just horrifying scary things that you just like lose the picture like with Lear and stuff. Oh, you know what card I really like, but I don't know how good it's going to be? Mm. Investigator's Journal. Oh, yeah. This I don't think. A... Oh, yeah. I don't think it's great at all, but yeah, it's yeah. sweet because it's a two mana artifact and it's mm -hmm. a clue. It's a lot of clues. So it has the clue text of two, you pay, pay two mana and sack it, you get to draw a card. So at base rate, it's it's an expensive clue. Uh, but it enters the battlefield with a page counter, or sorry, a suspect counter for the number of creatures. The greatest number of creatures a player controls. And then you can pay two and tap it and remove a suspect counter to draw a card. So it's an extremely slow way to draw cards against decks with creatures, which is typically not the matchup where <laughs> you want to be That's not where you want cards. that, right. <laughs> but I just like that there's a clue in the set. I, it's mm -hmm. neat. Yeah. Also, I like suspect counters. <laughs> no, the, the flavor of it is really cool. Like, you have as many clues as there are creatures for you to investigate. Like, it's it's really well done. But it does add up to, like, you're doing exactly what you don't want to do if your opponent has a bunch of creatures in play. Look at all these creatures for me to draw cards off of. Hmm. Uh... You know a card I really like and think is, like, perfectly reasonable, though? Hmm. Is a Path of Peril, which is a 1BB sorcery with cleave of 4 white B. Yeah. So it's... So normal rate is 1BB, destroy all creatures with mana value 2 or less. So it's kind of like an infest variation. Uh, it's got like a, a small wrath for three mana. Mm -hmm. But if you pay the cleave cost of, you know, gold, you're, it's gold now. I think all the cleave cards are gold. Mm -hmm. uh, it's four white B and it just destroys all creatures. Yeah. And I, I mean, you certainly are technically limited to white black with this, but I think that potentially that's not that big of a deal. You could be like basically a mono black deck and just have treasures or whatever. Or like pathways. Think, yeah, yeah. So I, I think that this card is probably pretty good. Kind of just depends on if there is enough stuff that you play against that the three mana side gets you out of problems. And generally yeah, with mono white around, probably does. Man, though their three drops are bangers, let me tell you. <laughs> they are I, the core of the deck. The Elite Spellbinder, Adeline, they're just, oh gosh. Yeah. Those cards are so strong. Adeline is so good. It kills you so fast. Yep. At, at least Spellbinder, I, you know, have generally had a lot of spike field hazards in my deck. 
What do you think about Soren? I mean, they really leaned into the Edward Cullen aesthetic <laughs> here. I guess if you're going to do the werewolf set into the vampire set, that's like, you know, what you're going for. But Soren the Mirthless, 2BB, 4 loyalty, Planeswalker. Plus one, look at the top card of your library. You may reveal that card and put it into your hand. If you do, you lose life equal to its mana value. Minus two, create a 2-3 black vampire creature token with flying and lifelink. Minus seven, deals 13 damage to a target. You gain 13 life. So, you know, Dark Confidante sort of draw engine on the plus. Two, three flying lifelink tokens on the minus two. Those are like really real creatures. They're, they're big. They're yeah. really big. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so the bar is, like, there's not a lot we're comparing him to. There aren't other four-mana Planeswalkers in the format that are pushing it out. So I don't think that the expectations have to be super high here, and this is potentially quite good. Yeah, I, I really like Soren. It's, I, I know the Planeswalkers have taken a dive in terms of, like, generic playability ever mm -hmm. since, ever since kind of Oko was printed, to be honest. Like mm -hmm. uh, everything after Oko was clearly powered down. Yeah. Uh, but Soren is a, a cost I can kind of get behind f because like four mana for a two, three, that leaves one of Blaine's work is pretty good. It draws mm -hmm. cards. Uh, they got a Yami Kojima to do the, one of the arts for it. Mm -hmm. She does a bunch of Castlevania art and it looks really good. So I hope this card's playable. There's, I think all of the Soren arts, except for Count Dracula, are very good. Yes, just looking through them all. I mean, this Count Dracula art is, like, fine, but I just don't care about it, so... I guess there's multiple Dracula cards, because one of the other... Yeah, one of the Black 3 drops is a Dracula yeah. as well. Weird. That Black 3 drop I actually quite like. It's a 2-drop. It's a Voldaren Bloodcaster is also oh, a Dracula. I was, of, I was thinking of the wrong card. Oh, no, no, no. Oh, wow, there's three Draculas. Oh, there's three okay. Draculas? Okay. Because <laughs> uh, Falconrath Forebear is the one I was thinking of. Oh, uh, okay. It's a, a th so I'm, let me look at the real card. Because, yeah, it's a, Falconrath Forebear is a, a 2B, 3, 1, flying, can't block. Uh, when it deals combat to a player, you make a blood token, and you may black and sack two blood tokens to reanimate it. I am really low on this card. I don't think a bunch about it, mm -hmm. but I enjoy cards that produce blood tokens. Sure, as yeah, like yeah, a baseline. Yeah. I I agree that the the blood tokens are cool. So these are kind of clues that instead of two and sack to draw a card, you pay one and sack it to rummage, and so that lets you accumulate them a little faster because they don't they're not that powerful. For this card, I think in a spike field hazard format in particular, it's like pretty bad unless you're doing yeah, something where you're like making a lot of blood tokens and dumping this into your graveyard and getting them for kind of free. I don't, I don't, I don't see this card working as a straight up three mana card. Yeah, if there's something that makes a bunch of blood, because I am pretty into <laughs> pretty bloodthirsty. Just, yeah, pretty bloodthirsty. Uh, like the, a, the the other Dracula, Volder and Bloodcaster. Yeah, that makes blood whenever a creature comes into play. Whenever I, I really like that one. This is it makes blood whenever. A creature you control oh, dies. dies. Sorry. And then it transforms once you have five bloods, which you probably need some other blood generators in the deck. But it's a two mana two one flyer. 
And then on the other side, it is a 3-3 flyer. At the beginning of combat on your turn, up to one target blood token you control becomes a 2-2 black creature, black bat creature with flying and haste permanently. So, I mean, that's kind of sweet, but... And you may be asking yourself, how do you turn blood into a bat? <laughs> Luckily, this card's name is Blood Bat Summoner, so answer it <laughs> so for you. Tells, tells you exactly what it's doing. <laughs> yeah, kind of a cool card. I don't really see a place for it yet, but... I mean, if there is some really blood-heavy deck, there is only one set worth of blood cards, though. So. Yeah, that's so... I'm really... I really don't dig the way they... Like, these two sets basically comprise a block, except for you get the zombie decayed stuff in the first set, and then only the only blood token stuff is in the second set. Mm-hmm. Not a huge fan of that. Yeah. I don't like... I think they could plan this stuff about a bunch better. Yeah, like, I love seeing the pro- progression of Disturb from... You get a spirit on the other side to in this like set. human spirit into spirit to enchantment. Yeah. And like that's that's a really neat progression. And we don't really have that with the other mechanics. Oh, and also just to note that the like Thalia potentially very good in standard just because like taxing has been really powerful for the creature decks. But it also is newly introduced to Pioneer now. So for if that format is relevant at all, having a Thalia around in that format is a big deal. Well, one of the best decks right now is is a Phoenix. So mm-hmm. uh, I would imagine it's probably impactful. <laughs> I would also imagine that. Uh, there's also a Chandra Planeswalker in this set. So that is Chandra Dressed to Kill. One of the best named Planeswalkers. It's great. It, it is truly wonderful naming. Uh, and I love the expression on her face in her full frame art. Just a great look overall. Uh, but this is a three mana planeswalker. One red red for a three loyalty planeswalker. Plus one, add one red. Chandra dressed to kill deals one damage to up to one target player or planeswalker. Plus one, exile the top card of your library. If it's red, you may cast it this turn. Minus seven, exile the top five cards of your library. You may cast red spells from among them this turn. You get an emblem with whenever you cast a red spell, this emblem deals X damage to any target where X is the amount of mana spent to cast that spell. So this is a three mana, three loyalty planeswalker goes to four the turn that you play it and whatever abilities you're using is ticking up towards an ultimate that does end the game. And this just demands that you have a decent, like, be mostly red in your deck playing this on the play is disgusting potentially especially in non-creature matchups yeah i actually missed that it pings players or planeswalkers on the plus one mm-hmm. like i thought it only made a mana for some reason but it, i didn't realize it did that pretty minor but still relevant i guess yeah i it's just hard for me to imagine playing this outside of like modern red exactly so yeah, I mean, certainly the card wants you to be, like, pretty heavy red. But, like, I could see, like, in the Epiphany Mirror, this gives you a really dangerous three-mana spell where formerly you didn't have any. And you can be a lot of red cards in your Epiphany deck. Uh, you know, Iteration, Windfall, so a lot of your card drawing is red. and uh, Both iterations, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So... And, and then just you're threatening to ultimate this. This just provides something that they need to do something about, which can give you an opening to do other stuff. And it, it is on a turn where you just don't necessarily have 
other really powerful it's at a mana cost that you don't really have other really powerful plays so I, there might be places for this I, I think it is threatening enough in low creature matchups that you know as a three mana planeswalker it, it could do something i hope you're right because i would really enjoy casting this card mm-hmm. like especially the the uh, full art version yeah it, it's it's just looks so nice it does look really the, nice the, a lot of the art for this set is really good mm-hmm. honestly as somebody who's been pretty critical of magic art in the past like 10 years or so i think over the past couple of years maybe just the past year or so but they've really stepped up the art game and just the the concepts that they're working with and stuff and i, I think the art has gotten really really good lately I mean, we are in the middle of an Innistrad block right now, so that's part of it, but it's it's gone back farther than that. Ooh, what about Thirst for Discovery? Yeah. So this is compulsive research, but an instant. <laughs> so it's two you instant, draw three cards, then discard two unless you discard it. Oh, a basic Basic land, land not just yeah. any land. It's a little Interesting. different. Huh, I didn't realize that the first time I read it. Just skipped right over basic in my mind. So I think this is cool for a couple of reasons. Uh, I mean, it's at a mana cost where so we have great card drawing at two mana and expressive iteration and then we have great card drawing at four mana with you know whatever you want to do we have several different options there and this is a totally different cost this also gives a discard outlet potentially if there's any graveyard stuff that you want to do and is quite efficient at that as far as standard goes i don't know what you are discarding to it but you know we are in the middle of an Innistrad block, so there, there could be something. What do you think about Wedding Invitation? Uh, this is a card that I was having a hard time evaluating. Me it's too. A, <laughs> it's a two-white enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, you put an Invitation counter on it. And if you attacked with two or more creatures this turn, you draw a card. Otherwise, you make a 1-1 one, one white creature token. A 1-1 one, one white human creature token. Then, if it has three counters on it, you transform it. So that's a lot of text. But basically, every turn at the end of your turn... You, it gets a counter. When it gets three counters, it flips. So it's going to flip in three turns guaranteed. If you attacked with two creatures, you draw a card. Otherwise, you put you put a token into play. And oh, wait, that's, flips in... that's Wedding Announcement, right? Wedding Invitation is yes. a, an artifact. Wedding Announcement. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I misread this card. I, I was like on the fence about it, and I thought you only got the 1-1 if you attacked with creatures, but it's you get the 1-1 if you didn't attack with creatures, you draw a card if you did attack with creatures. Right. So that, that is kind of weird that it doesn't immediately contribute to the board if you've already got the board, which is like kind of nice because it diversifies a little bit. But I think in the deck that is trying to flip wedding announcement, you'd rather just get the 1-1 one, one each time than a card. And it flips into an anthem. So mm-hmm. it's wedding festivities, just creatures you can draw with plus one, plus one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I... I actually kind of like this card a lot. I kind of do too. But it's a little weird because it's like you kind of don't, you kind of want either half of this card and you mm-hmm. want to choose which one you get. Yeah. Because if you want an anthem, that means you've got a lot of creatures in play. You just want it to be on now and then kill your opponent. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, if you want to like draw some cards or get some value or whatever, mm-hmm. I'd rather play that card. And this one's like kind of a little bit of both. Uh, and it is weird that you get the the human token when you aren't attacking with creatures. Yeah. So you can theoretically build up a board 
by like having creatures in play you don't have good trades you can just go token mm-hmm. token token flip or you can be more aggressive and like try to trade off your creatures to draw cards and replace them before you flip into an anthem yeah this is the flip is really really slow it so yeah. like as for an anthem that you attack with if you play this on turn three then you get one counter at the end of turn three one counter at the end of turn four one counter at the end of turn five and flip it and then you don't get an attack with an anthem until turn six mm-hmm. and then obviously if you play it on any turn after it's a full three turn wait that you have before you get the anthem effect so like there's definitely a lot of like value packed into this card but i wonder if it translates into a way that a creature deck can really meaningfully use the way that the games play out and it's also at a mana cost where it is competing with all of the best cards in all the white the deck best, yeah all the best white cards yeah Maybe it's not a, like, it's, this card is very splashable. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's less of a, like, mono white card and more of, like, a Bant card or whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. Something where you're more interested in going to turn six, turn seven. Yeah, and I mean, it is, like, this weird token generator thing. I don't know. Yeah, I, you can't really play it with Thalia is, you know, no. kind of a, a knock against it for white weenie strategies in particular. You so, definitely do not want to play this thought, yeah. So, I mean, maybe in a different place, like maybe with like a Seekers Chariot or something like that in in a that sort of deck. But I do think a fair amount of its use cases are going to get pushed out by the competition with Adeline, Elite Spellbinder, Redain, uh, Maul of the Skyclave. Just like there's mm-hmm. a lot in that spot. Yeah, I just think that card's really interesting. I'm not really quite sure what to make of it. It's a cool design. I mean, it. I, I think that the design works, like, is worth all of the text, so. Yeah. It's also, this is, this is about a wedding announcement and a wedding festivity. It's not like, <laughs> the flavor is so weird. <laughs> the card that just draws cards and makes humans. <laughs> yes. But they had to make some sort of wedding some amount of wedding related cards in the wedding set and since all of magic is about fighting basically yeah it's tough to translate that to rules text i mean the vampires do look very exciting to be going to this wedding yes in a very red-eyed and creepy way do you have any cards you want to talk about i think i've gone through most of the ones that that caught my eye uh so there is ulvenwald oddity this is potentially another addition to the mono green deck. Two green green, four four trample haste. And it has five green green transform Ulvenwald oddity. And it transforms into an eight eight trample haste with other creatures you control get plus one plus one and have trample and haste. So it's mostly a worse questing beast, but we don't have questing beasts. So if you, you know, like I would rather board into this than frog hemoth if, you know, most yeah. of the time if I want a haste thing in my sideboard and i think that's mostly the purpose it'll serve uh if you are a green deck that also generates treasures with like magda and goldspan dragon and stuff like this is a solid mana sink if you want the front side in your deck then the the payoff of hey this turns into an 8-8 sometimes when i have extra treasures lying around is like not nothing yeah it's only seven mana to flip i thought it was eight yeah like seven is not crazy I mean, I could cast Epiphany a bunch for seven mana. <laughs> well, you're also using Expressive Iteration to make all your land drops, but... Yeah, but that, like, green decks get to play a bunch of mana just because they're green decks. Yep. 
Yeah, and I mean, games like tend to go like long. Like with Magda or Goldspan Dragon, it's, it gets pretty free. Yep. Yeah, for sure. Like, you attack with a Goldspan Dragon, you're at 7 mana. Yeah. The following turn. Like, this will just definitely see, at minimum, sideboard play when you want to bring in a haste thing to, like, respond to Planeswalkers and stuff with. Um, ooh, yeah, Inspired Idea is a really neat card. So this is, and this uses the cleave mechanic, which after seeing more cards with cleave, I'm less like upset about it because most of them, it's just the second half of the sentence that's in the cleave brackets. So it actually reads really well. The fact that the first one spoiled was like the least readable one was a giant mistake. I don't understand why they like incredibly stupid, but uh, so this is inspired idea two and a blue. It's a sorcery. Draw three cards. Your maximum hand size is reduced by three for the rest of the game. Cleave cost is three blue blue, and then it loses the maximum hand size text. Three cards for three mana is a ton if you're like you know doing some sort of like comboing, cycling through your deck, just like getting a critical mass of cards together that you are converting into resources somehow. Uh, definitely tough to use just straight up as a draw spell, but three mana for three cards is really cheap. Yeah, I really like this card. <laughs> yeah, I, I think bet. my favorite. I think this my favorite thing about this is that the first time you cast it for three mana, it's going to be so free, mm-hmm. essentially, because you like cast it on turn five or turn three or whatever, or sorry, not turn three, turn four, or turn five, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, go up some cards and then I don't know, make a land drop or something, not discard. But the second one you draw is like can't really cleave you can't really cast it anymore then your maximum hand size is one (laughs) yeah but you have already resolved a draw three so you probably and it's like your second one so probably you can cast it for five mana at that point and yeah things are okay but it's neat that there's like this card's so powerful for three mana but you can't really cast a lot of them and it's a draw spell so you're gonna draw into more of them than right right a normal card i mean i like you know, if there's, like, a blue-red spell-based tempo deck, like, this is a great... If you're just, like, putting stuff onto the board, this is an incredible refill after they've, like, killed your tempo creatures and you just get to draw three cards for three mana. This is just too efficient to not see play. Draw three cards, play Chandra, make a mana, play a one-drop. Sure. I'm yeah, down. living the dream. <laughs> this card reminds me of uh, Ideas Unbound which was like a savior's card like mm-hmm. you you draw three end of turn discard three yeah which only really saw play in very combo combo decks. yeah, yeah. <laughs> just in popper storm mostly uh i think i played it in modern a couple times just in a long long time ago before there were a lot of cards in yeah. modern. just because two mana draw three is just the best you could get yeah and that's in storm type decks only yeah yeah where you don't go to end of turn <laughs> Right, <laughs> no drawback on this thing. So, I mean, I guess in blue-red tempo decks, like we already are playing all the expressive iterations, iterations that we yeah. can. So maybe that pushes this out a little bit. But this is still just on the raw card basis. It's a lot. So I really like that you can like cast this on turn six for mm-hmm. three mana, draw some cards, then play a three drop. Yeah, like, that's really important. Granted, you can only do that like once a game, but. I mean, how? But you only have one turn six every game. Yeah, exactly. Well, <laughs> six. You don't have always have six mana. I know, I know. Once a game. <laughs> like I, I just like that this is a flexible card that can get you really deep into your deck. Like imagine in modern, just going, uh, like on turn six, you have no land drop, so you cast this for three mana, draw a card, 
play a land, play Teferi. Like, that's mm-hmm. an incredibly powerful turn. It is, yeah. And you can insert whatever three drop you want. Teferi is just, like, the busted one that came to mind. <laughs> I mean, you you definitely want to be a deck that is mostly doing cheaper early game stuff that can get cards out of your hand. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Fortel is also one way of doing that in standard if you're not just putting a bunch of creatures onto the board. In modern... I mean, in modern, just getting raw cards is great because of the stupid elementals. So who knows what you do with this card in that format? Well, this is a sorcery, and Express Federation still exists. Right. So you go. You there can first. pitch Express Federation of Fury. Yep. Mm, I don't know anything else. I mean, I'm sure there's other stuff, but um, for now, I think that's that's good. Like, there's a couple cards that are like stand out to me is like kind of neat like mm-hmm. olivia i quite like she's like a six mana reanimate permanently but yeah. when your vampires die that dies but it's like so expensive and kind of clunky can't imagine it sees a bunch of play oh syncope probably matters right is syncope in the set yeah x and a blue instant counter target spell unless this controller pays x if that spell is countered this way exile it instead of putting it into its owner's graveyard never a great spell but it scales you can cast it on your turn two and you can cast it later in the game as well yeah it's i mean it's syncopate we've had it in a few standard formats now right like it was in the dominaria i guess it wasn't in dominaria it was like in return to ravnica right so maybe it has been a while yes i remember it very i remember it very uh well in dominaria and it was just like yeah existed yeah you I can mean, play it, it if you wanted it's to. all play like it was an option but there were a few reasonable counter spells that you could play. And I hope I still to... have my old ones, because I know I have played with those a lot, and I didn't know where they are now. It's another one of those cards where it's just like a, an old blue card with the old blue frame that has a ton of orange in the art. Yes, <laughs> it's just all fire. It's all fire in multiple printings. Like, the Odyssey one is is all fire, and then... The Guilds of Ravnica, or the the Return to Ravnica one, is also all fire. <laughs> yeah, but the Ravnica one's too sassy. I don't want to be that sassy. Yeah, the Dominaria one is pretty sassy too. Yeah, but that's Teferi. I like know, he... just not giving a damn. No, he he. Look at all the Teferi cards in all of Magic history. That, <laughs> that's know. just his character. It's always him, just like casually deflecting somebody's best effort. Oh, I do like Mischievous Catgeist. Just because it's, it's a yarn affidian it's thing. It's so cute. Why? Yeah, that card's adorable. Why did they make a card this cute? Uh, no, the, the most depressing card about this card is it's a ghost cat. That cat is dead. It's a cat spirit. It's like it's it's, and, a, it's a geist. And it's acting in a cat way. Like the flavor text is I never get any knitting done, but I don't entirely mind Lorne Lamholt Innkeeper. Like it's just a cat being cute, even though it's a ghost cat. It's the cat so, doesn't know. The cat doesn't what's, care. What's interesting to me is that this is a, a, a ghost cat with a a ghost ball of yarn. Yeah. Which implies that the balls of yarn on Innistrad have souls. Yeah, kind. Okay, so the card is one in a blue for a 1-1 cat spirit. Whenever it deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. Disturb, two in a blue. Cat-like curiosity, enchant creature, aura, enchanted creature has. Whenever this creature would deal combat damage to a player, whenever this creature deals combat damage to a player, draw a card. And the art is a person playing Cat's Cradle with the spirit yarn 
that the cat was playing with. It's a really neat, like, kind of storyline. But yes, it does raise a question of do balls of yarn have spirits? Uh, the best part about this card is that it's a curiosity on a cat. Mm-hmm. Like, it, that's just perfect. It is just... Going full circle to the original curiosity. Wonderful flavor all the way around. It is a pretty cheap way of, you know, no no evasion on the front side. So bad against the creature decks, dies to spike field hazard against the non-creature decks. But... I mean, this um, is just like a... So suspicious stowaway would be what mm-hmm. you go to for this kind of effect if you wanted it. Yeah, probably just a better card. The only advantage Mischievous Catgeist has over suspicious stowaway is that suspicious stowaway cannot go into the mutate cube. Oh yeah, and I was thinking about this that this goes directly into the mutate cube. Possibly. What, what this set comes out really soon, right? Yep. I mean, releases on the nineteenth in paper, so that it comes out on Arena next week on yes. the eleventh, I believe. <laughs> I guess we'll have one more spoiler episode to record and then the set will be out. And I mean, probably the whole set will be available by the time we record our next episode. So maybe that'll even be a top five episode. Who knows? It certainly will be available to play on Arena by the next time you listen to the next episode. Yes, very true. (laughs) Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Set looks cool. New cards are fun. Standard is in a pretty decent starting place to add some cards to, so should be good. Yeah, I, strangely, Standard may not be like diverse, but it is really fun. Yes. So hopefully this set and the subsequent sets can add just a little more diversity. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's it for us. Thanks so much for listening. We do really, really appreciate your time. If you want to lend us some support, head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore Grindcast. Lee is also on Twitter. I am at Lee McLeo. Thanks if so much. If you following me on Twitter this Invitational Weekend, you could have joined a cube draft. Someone saw my tweet that I wanted cube people and came and cubed with us. Aww, that could be you. That's so nice. Next Invitational. <laughs> yes, definitely. And, and also for just arranging just regular hangouts at hopefully upcoming tournaments that happen one day uh very useful yeah it would be sweet if we could get this whole like deathly disease thing under control mm-hmm. i'm hoping that happens eventually yes that would be ideal for sure but that's really it thanks so much have a great week goodbye